So, Mark. Yes. Oh, God, I did not mean you to do it yourself. Ugh, that was painful. I have no regrets. You should. So last week when we talked about the 1976 A Star is Born. A movie that we watched. Yeah, that we watched. We compared it pretty extensively to the 2018 A Star is Born. Oh, right. Yes. The the movie we'd seen. Yeah, we went into some pretty extensive detail about comparisons between the two movies. But I thought now that our audience has had more of a chance to see the movie, we could talk a little bit more about our reactions to the 2018 one, comparisons to Barbara. Uh, and just general thoughts <laughs> yes. about the, I would say, identical quality of these two movies. Uh, that's such a dig on the 2018 <laughs> version. It's like a heinous crime. I know. So one fun thing I enjoyed about the 2018 version is they were real characters Ooh. with like backstories and lives and plots it was so fascinating to see this movie right after watching the 76 version. Yeah. Because the first two versions of the movie, the 37 and 54 ones are about actors. The latter two are about musicians. And so the plot points of the 76 one and the 2018 one are very similar, except that the 2018 one does it better at every turn. Yeah, literally every single thing is better. I kept watching it being like, oh, I've seen this scene, but now it's better. Yeah. For one, they accurately represent the number of people in attendance at the Grammys. <laughs> It's so true. It's so weird how small it is when Barbara's there. Yeah. Also, this one did better because Shangela and Willem were in it, which took me completely by surprise. Yeah, I didn't the know best that surprise. That Except I was listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour and Ari Shapiro was talking about it. Yeah. And he was saying that he was at a party like two years ago with Willem and Willem was like, I just got cast in a Star is Born remake with Lady Gaga and Ari Shapiro was like, and we were all like, sure you did. He's like, and then I forgot about it. And then two years later, I'm sitting in the movie theater like, what? Yeah, they were both so fun, too. Yeah. Granted, they're not really acting. They're just being themselves. But I always love seeing Shangela. Yeah. One of the strengths of this movie is the acting in general. Yes. Um, In the fact that, for example, the male lead is a character. Yes. Chris Christopherson, I don't think is bad in the 76 one, but he has nothing to do. Yeah. And the other thing is, we talk about how much Barbara Streisand is the star and, like, there's so much shots of her face and everything. Completely. Yeah. Just her staring, not saying or doing anything, just Barbara looking wistfully into the distance. But she doesn't have any backstory. She's not given any real characterization. She's not a person. She just not being like, yes, of course I should be the star. Yeah. Allie, Lady Gaga's character, actually, like, her dad is, one, still alive and in the picture. And better than Sinatra. Yes. And just, like, things like that where you actually see, oh, you're a person. She has a friend that stays with her through her whole getting famous yeah, experience. From Hamilton. Yeah, I saw that. And then, also, I was a big fan of the fact that Lady Gaga acted so much more Italian around her dad. Yes. Did you pick up on that, I did. too? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I think that's probably how she is in real life, too. Yeah, other hot take i think the music in this one is pretty darn good it's really good yeah shallow is a good song shallow is a good one and i think some of the other ones are too yeah except for the one she sings on snl yes which i also think is deliberate yes it is because uh i was talking to nick after it and he says that lady gaga does not stand by her first album and some of the early music she did because like poker face and just dance are much less actual songs than her later work Mm -hmm. like off born this way so i think it was kind of a commentary on the more like vapid nature of some of her early work yeah this movie has an interesting 
take on the like rock versus poptimism debate. Yeah, I don't think it's fully fleshed out as an argument. No, I would say that's one of the weaknesses of the movie. It could definitely go into it more. But at the same time, like that's not what the movie is about. No, but I feel like you should commit or not because when they're having the debate in the bathtub, which is where it comes to the form mostly, it devolves into him commenting on her appearance instead of continuing the debate about pop and rock and like what it takes to be a true artist or whatever. Nonetheless, this movie is great. Yes. It is. Really enjoyed it. Just like high melodrama. Yes. Of the kind that we don't see a lot of anymore. And Lady Gaga is great. Yeah. And so like is Bradley I'm, Cooper, but that's Bradley not Cooper's, a surprise because... But he's like really he's good. He's really good. And he hasn't been really on screen since American Sniper. Yeah. So it's been like four years. That's true. But, you know, we knew Bradley Cooper was a good actor going into it. I still feel like this is a different... But it's a new side of him. him. Yeah. yeah. And the fact that, like, he was directing it too. His singing is good? His singing is good. His dog's adorable. The yeah, tr- that's... And for those of you who don't know, Charlie the dog in the 2018 Star is Born is Bradley Cooper's actual dog. The true star of this movie. <laughs> the breakout. I, I feel like this movie is just such a blatant star vehicle for Charlie. Hollywood nepotism at its worst. They warned you. The star was gonna be born yeah it's just bradley cooper trying to break his dog into stardom this is the after earth of bradley cooper and his dog bradley cooper gets his leg crushed and so charlie the dog has to navigate future terrible earth on his own to send the signal i would totally watch a remake of after earth with bradley cooper and his dog that'd be amazing it would be so much better his dog would talk who would voice the dog lady gaga okay yeah I was going to say Danny DeVito, because I assigned Danny DeVito to all voice acting roles. He can handle pretty much any voice acting role. Yeah. He's such a star. He is the greatest. He is the star who was born. Yes. That picture of Danny DeVito at Pride this year gave me so much joy. It was magnificent. I love him. He's great. Um, Speaking of other movie news, did you see any other movies lately? Not really. Now that movie passes basically dead my ability to see movies has gone i've gotten like pretty good at navigating the movie pass schedule yeah and then also just like quickly burning through all of the regal rewards points that i scored up during the movie pass golden age yeah i use those on popcorn because i'm a fool no i heard about a dude who during the heyday of movie pass he was like this isn't gonna last so every day he would go whether he was actually going or not he would just if he was passing the movie there go in get a ticket on movie pass just to get the rewards point to stock up that's genius. Yeah. Oh my god. Amazing idea. But yeah, Regrets. so I, uh, I caught some of the other new releases. I saw. I finally saw Christopher Robin, uh, which is nice. I saw The Hate You Give, and then I saw Venom, which is a weird movie. Yeah. I don't think it's good, but I don't think it's bad either. I think it's just weird. It has a, like, 33 on Metacritic right now. Yeah, it was dreadfully reviewed. Yeah. Which I don't blame critics for. Because, again, I don't think it's good. Yeah. But I think it weirdly... It's like The Greatest Showman, and that it transcends qualities of good or bad. <laughs> it is just weird, and, like... So the thing about Greatest Showman is it's fun throughout, which is what yeah. puts it above Venom. Venom is kind of boring for a while, and then Tom Hardy is just having a blast. <laughs> and there's this scene where he's been possessed by the Venom symbiote, and Venom is like, I need to eat things that are alive. And he, like, is in a restaurant, he, like, holds up a piece of steak, he sniffs it, he's like, ugh, it's dead, and, like, throws it in this fancy restaurant. And he eventually leaps into a lobster tank, and it's Tom Hardy just sitting there in a lobster tank, ripping off parts of lobster and eating it. And I'm like, alright, movie, I'll, I'll go along with this. <laughs> I'm on board 
Lord for now. Yeah. And it's just like when the movie goes completely insane, I'm kind of there for it. And it kind of seems like at the end of the movie, it's setting up the weirdest part of the movie, which I'm never 100% on board with, but I'm always interested in, is Tom Hardy just like walking through his day and you can hear the Venom symbiote talking to him. Yeah. And like growling. But the Venom symbiote, the weirdest choice this movie makes is like kind of snarky. And voiced by Danny DeVito, I'm assuming. (laughs) If only. It's Tom Hardy doing a voice. Uh. And it kind of seems like they're setting up the second one to have one of the main plots be a rom-com where Tom Hardy and Venom together try to get Michelle Williams to fall back in love with them, which I'm kind of into. Oh, sounds uncomfortable. And they're also going to fight Venom, who's going to be played by Woody Harrelson. <laughs> That's the post credit scene. Oh Sorry, my God. fight Carnage. Okay. Woody Harrelson. <laughs> Oh, speaking of Venom, New York Comic Con was last weekend. Yes. And um, they made a big announcement, and I need you to check your Facebook newsfeed. The Marvel Mobile Game Contest of Champions is rolling out a new character that they announced tying into the Venom movie. Okay. I'm sending you a picture. Oh, my God. Is it connected to the thing? (laughs) Yes, it is. It's like an anglerfish decoy? Something like that. Oh, God. But it's Howard the Duck... Connected by tongue to a thing that's essentially a mouth with hands that are mouths. Its name is Venom the Duck. Oh, God. So it's a new character. See, unfortunately, they took down the video that they used to announce it, which was the, like, Venom monster, which is just, like, a big mouth with arms and legs. Like, walking down, sees an egg there, shoots a, like, tendril tongue out and scoops the egg in, and then it shoots the tendril tongue out again, and it's, like, Howard wearing nothing but some black goo. Ugh. Ugh. So, uh, Howard lives. I was so happy. We haven't had duck talk in so long. But I think it was worth it to have this weird, awkward, like, the second photo there of Howard looking like someone caught him with his symbiote down. Yeah. It's, uh, it's some weird stuff. Yeah. Like I said, duck talk has to come up organically. I'm not the kind of person who's going to, like, dig through the internet looking for Howard the Duck news or weird quirks about his past just for the sake of doing a duck talk. Yeah, this was so natural. It's news! This is duck news. Okay. It is our job to keep up on this stuff. The people expect it from us. I was really curious why you wanted to specifically talk about other movies besides A Star is Born. And now that I know... I feel like you're suggesting I wanted to talk about movies as part of an elaborate ploy to bring up (laughs) Venom the Duck. Yeah. That is what I'm saying. It's and news. not just implying. It's news. You want me to ignore newsworthy things? Okay, it's time for Heart of Podness. I'm Mark and I'm gay. And I'm Will and I'm a ginger. And this is a podcast where we delve deep into cinematic love stories to answer the age-old question, does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And are these people actually dateable or even likable? It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or if it's a <laughs> one scene flirtation. <laughs> Was it interesting? We pause. We'll dig in and see what is there. You made it sound like our podcast just doesn't matter. <laughs> Are these well, people actually dateable or even likable? It doesn't matter. I guess it doesn't matter to you whether we cover the news the people want to hear. <laughs> Since Mark won't let me talk about Venom the Duck anymore, this week we're going to be making our return to the great rom-coms of the 1990s with our first movie directed by Nora Ephron, 1993's Sleepless in Seattle. I liked this. I did too. I don't know if it's one of the greats. Agreed. It was good. But I don't know why it's in, like, the pantheon. It is certainly not of the same caliber as When Harry Met Sally or no. While You Were Sleeping. No, definitely not. It was just fine for a lot fun. of it. There was I made a note towards the end of the movie. We'll talk about this more. I was like, why am I beaming at this movie? This yeah. This madcap movie. Yeah, and then I just got really angry that this child went to New York on his own. He was home alone too lost in New York. He was. He and stayed it at was... the Plaza Hotel. He met Donald Trump. 
It was very uncomfortable to watch this eight-year-old wander the streets of Manhattan because I was like... He got in a feud with Tim Curry. Are we going to watch a child die? Because that seems to be one of the only outcomes well, for a kid. you also thought kid. we were going to watch Bill Pullman die. I did legitimately... Okay, so they kept setting up these allergies and how Bill Pullman bad they are. is Meg Ryan's fiancé in the movie, and he is allergic to everything. There's like a whole scene early in the movie where he's being like, basically, anything I come near makes my head swell up huge. Yeah, so and they were like, talking... Bill Pullman, I like you. They were talking about how bad his allergies are, and I was like, well, clearly just having allergies can't be the, like, make the current guy a villain slash slash deal breaker so i was like oh are they gonna set up that she's recently lost a partner too and bill pullman is gonna have an allergy attack and die and then no she just gets annoyed that he sniffles all the time (laughs) yeah this movie is pretty cruel to bill pullman yeah it really is because he seems like a great guy yeah he does i mean to be fair at the very least two years from now he'll get to marry sandra bullock on the train (laughs) very true he has better things ahead of him two for two dream wedding (laughs) maybe bill pullman is the same character, but gets allergy shots. I think he's the same character in all of his movies. Then a year after that, he's the president. <laughs> Imagine he has to give if, a speech on our Independence Day. Imagine if Sandra Bullock was the first lady in that movie. That'd but be incredible. only wore her giant oversized sweaters. <laughs> we got a lot of oversized sweater, sweater clothes in this movie. Oh, definitely. So, speaking of this movie, so this, as we said, it's directed by Nora Ephron. It's the second movie that she had directed. Previously, she had done a movie called This Is My Life that got a pretty small release. She actually was originally hired as a writer. So this first draft was written by a guy named Jeff Arch, who had never had a script produced before that. And the producer was like, this is great. Really fought for it with the studio. Um, I've got a great long retro- 25-year anniversary retrospective by the producer that I'll put up on social media. Because it's a really interesting read about the kind of work that producers did in Hollywood in the 1990s. Yeah. And really walking through how you shepherd a script through development, like hire writers and actors and things like that. A cool inside baseball thing. Um, So then they got, they hired David Ward, who wrote The Sting, to do some rewrites. He did two drafts. And then after that, they brought in Nora Ephron. And so she was like, yeah, I'll get you a draft in two weeks. She wrote it up there like, this is amazing. And then they were like, BT Dubs, do you want to direct? And she said, yes. Good for her. Yeah, good for Nora Ephron. They looked at bringing in a bunch of people. They offered the role to Julia Roberts, King Basinger. Like, a ton of people read for this. Yeah. Julia Roberts came pretty close to being in it, actually. But then eventually, Nora Ephron really wanted Meg Ryan and suggested Tom Hanks, too. They had previously worked together in Joe versus the Volcano. How many movies have they been in together? Uh, I think three or four. Okay. They did these two. They did You've Got Mail. Right. There might be another one in there that I'm forgetting. Okay. They made the movie for $21 million, and it was really successful. It made 126 mil. Wow. It was one of the most successful movies of the year. It opened to number two behind week three of Jurassic Park. And uh, this I thought was a fun fact. It is the number one box office on Box Office Mojo's list of New Year's movies. (laughs) This is number one. Some of our other favorites there. When Harry Met Sally is in at number two. Okay. While You Were Sleeping is number five. And Bridget Jones' Diary is number six. Is there a New Year's scene in While You Were Sleeping? It's probably Christmassy. It's all set around that time. It is. I guess most Christmas movies usually end up having a New Year's scene in it, too. Yeah, unless it's, like, specifically Christmas. Huh. I don't remember that at all. We should rewatch that movie. Oh, it's a great movie. It was very fun. We're 100% going to watch that movie again just for the heck of it around Christmas. Yeah. This one got two Oscar nominations for screenplay and for original song. Which is the original song? A Wink and a Smile. What? That comes from this? It's apparently originally from this. Huh. Yeah. The music in this movie is weird. It's odd. It's a great track list, but all weird arrangements. Yeah. I feel like there was one song by Nat King Cole, like a good arrangement. Yes. Everything else was like, 
Huh. Yeah. And then even like with the score, there's a scene where Meg Ryan is trying on a wedding dress and it should be like kind of nice, except there's this ominous minor key music playing in the background. And I'm like, is she about to get murdered in this dress? I guess it's more supposed to be like the wedding will never happen. I guess. This ugly dress that also I didn't hate as much as some of the other wedding dresses we've seen is but not going to be I love it used. as much as some of the wedding dresses I've ever seen. No, I mean, like, in these movies that no, we've watched, yeah. I mean, like, the worst one is still the Maid of Honor wedding dress. Yes. I think the best one is when it is uh, while you were sleeping. I don't remember her wedding dress from that one. She's it's... on a train. Yeah, that one just isn't as much of, like, a thing. Yeah. It's just she's wearing a wedding dress. Yeah. But, God, the Maid of Honor dress was it's awful. It's real bad. And this one was... It, it looks like a long, like, a light sweater and then has a skirt attached to it. It's weird... Some of the tailoring done on it. Yeah, it's a strange one. But I don't mind the simplicity of the cut. Okay. <laughs> this is our new segment where we analyze the wedding dresses in movies. I think what the people want is our opinions on wedding dresses. That's something that anyone can hold, I feel. Yeah. Judgments on wedding dresses. Oh, for sure. I've spent some time shopping around for them as uh, a maid of honor. I have not. Yeah. I just judge them in movies. What don't we judge in movies? Well, That's true. We judge most things. Um... Other fun facts with this movie, uh, it features Tom Hanks hanging out with his wife, Rita Wilson. Yes. Who plays his sister? I think so. I'm not clear on their relationship. She's married to Victor Garber. This movie has a great cast all around. Yeah. They never actually their explicitly say. never explicitly stated. Yeah. Huh. Hanks also did some rewrites himself because he thought in the original version that Sam was too wimpy and wanted to make him a little bit more confident. I think that's fair. Yeah. I think the character winds up working really well. Yeah. They also had to fire the first actor they hired for Jonah because he froze whenever he, like, was... In a scene with Tom Hanks. I don't blame the kid, honestly. I know. It's Tom Hanks. Yeah. I mean, so it goes. Yeah. Uh, so I looked up the kid who played Jonah. Oh, yeah. I was like, this kid seems a little familiar, but also a lot of kid actors from this era seem similar. They all look the same. Yeah. You know what else he is in? Like, the only other thing. Is he played by Danny DeVito? <laughs> the Disney Channel original film, Toothless, starring Kirstie Alley as a mean dentist who becomes the Tooth Fairy. I have never heard of this. You haven't? I didn't have Disney Channel. That's fair, but it's like, that's a weird movie. So, like, movie. what happens in this movie? All I remember, and I'm not even sure these facts are right, because I did not look into the movie. I was just like, huh, that movie. I think Kirstie Alley is a mean dentist to children, gets hit by a car and dies, and comes back as the Tooth Fairy and has to learn how to be nice. So this is like Jack Frost, but with the Tooth Fairy. Essentially. Mark, can we please watch Jack Frost for the show? Can we watch Jack Frost and Toothless and compare? Um, quite possibly. Yeah, got nothing else to do. Jack Frost has the best slogan ever made for a movie. Say it, Will. It's a real... Lo- Someone says it in dialogue in the movie. Do you know what it is? Yes, but it's going to bring you so much joy. Snow Dad is better than No Dad. God damn that movie. <laughs> it's so bad. Oh my god. I love Michael Keaton, though. Oh. I haven't seen that movie enough to like judge his performance, but I just broadly love Michael Keaton. We should watch it again. We should. All right, speaking of slogans, and I think this might be a good pivot to get us into talking about the movie. Yeah. The slogan for this movie, like on the poster, everything, is, what if someone you never met, someone you never saw, someone you never knew, was the only someone for you? This movie made an explicit reference to Fatal Attraction, but also, we should post this. Will send me a recut of the trailer as a horror film. Yeah. And I was watching it, and I was just like, oh, recut, this movie just is Fatal Attraction. Right, exactly. So, again, that slogan could easily fit that version of this movie, too. Oh, true, it could, yeah. yeah. Meg Ryan as Creepy Stalker, who flies from Baltimore to Seattle to spy on a man and his child. Yeah, that checks out. 
Yeah. Just standing in the road. I feel like a Meg Ryan Tom Hanks horror film would be really interesting. I'd watch the crap out of that. It would be so good. Yeah. Because they're good actors. Well, yeah. But it's just like so unexpected. Not horror, really, but like psychological thriller. Something like that. We'll write it. Great. Okay. Get right to work. So we don't really need to run through the plot. Because the points will probably cover it. Mm-hmm. It's no Prince of Egypt. So do you want to get started? Uh, before we do, I have a quick word from our sponsor. Oh. Today's episode is brought to us by Serial. Serial is back and better than ever. It's the kind of thing that you got into really early on and it's really set your life and the way that you engage with things going forward. It's just good and wholesome these days. They're digging deep, looking at the day-to-day, the basics, exactly what you're looking for. Whether it's your Lucky Charms or your Cheerios, digging for the mushrooms or stealing the tricks back from the rabbit, because let's face it, they're after your Lucky Charms. Cereal is the best way to engage with your media. Just every single day, it's going to give you what you are looking for. Cereal. It's for breakfast. <laughs> two things. You said Cheerios. I, which stand I by that really enjoyed. And Stay two- tuned for our sponsor copy from Cheerios next week. <laughs> Digging for mushrooms? What's that one? Did I say that? Yeah. I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't know what you were talking about We there. all know I don't eat cereal. Yeah, but like... What's I definitely meant marshmallows. Okay. I 100% meant marshmallows. (laughs) Okay. Because cereal is actually just cookies in milk if you're cookie crisp. I don't know if they do a mushroom theme. (laughs) How did I forget? I meant to do that like two weeks ago. I like had the whole thing in my head and I forgot about it. There was an Oreo O's bit. Yeah. Cookie Captain Crisp. Crunch. <laughs> How did that get made? Captain Crunch? No, or Cookie, Cookie Crisp. Crisp. I don't know. Oreo O's are crazier to me. Yeah. I mean, Reese's Puff cereal. I always think of the Calvin and Hobbes, the chocolate frosted sugar bombs. Yeah. I was very rarely fed these, and I think Lucky Charms were the most ridiculous cereal I got. All of them are crazy. And it was only at my grandma's house. Mm-hmm. At home, it was just like Cheerios. Cheerios. Or Honey Bunches of Oats. Cheerios are the Costco brand. <laughs> Kirkland Signature. Kirkland Signature. Cheerios. Is it in the shape of an L? Cheerios. <laughs> That's definitely what it is. Cheerios. Um, should we go through the points now, I guess. If we don't just want to, like, cancel the podcast now. <laughs> Just stop it here. Yeah. That's all, folks. This experiment has ended. Yep. All right. So, Sleepless in Seattle. Number one. The movie starts on Christmas Eve. It's a magical time of year. Well, actually, we start with Tom Hanks in a Chicago graveyard. Yeah, I was about to say. Telling his kid that, like, mommy got sick and he's, like, in a funk and he decides that he needs to move to somewhere where he won't be reminded of his wife, Maggie, everywhere he turns. Yeah. So they move to, uh, I said Duluth. <laughs> But actually Seattle. Yeah. So one of his friends gives Tom Hanks a card for his therapist. And Tom Hanks goes through all these cards like, support groups, therapists, blah, blah, blah. Like angry. And I was like, clearly you have a lot of people in your life that care for you and your mental health. Maybe you should react with calling the people instead of anger at them for trying to help. Masculinity, man. It's a hell of a drug. So instead he moves to Seattle. And then our movie really starts on Christmas Eve. When we get Christmas time in Baltimore, actually between the two things, we get the really bad opening titles, which use the really bad map graphic. What is that? So the opening titles are just the, you know, names of actors and production team and stuff like that over this flat map of the U.S. And it slowly gets lit as the credits go by. And it's just like, these graphics are bad. Yeah, I'm going to see if I can find it so we can post it and show people how bad it is. It's bad. It's 11 years after Indiana Jones. So like, we know you can do cool things in a movie with maps. Yeah, 
And it just serves no purpose except to take you out of it. Right. And it comes back every time someone goes on an airplane. We see this same flat map and like dots over the map of an airplane going. And I'm like, we know they moved. We know they flew. This is weird and bad. Yeah. There are like a couple of weird choices in the movie where I'm just wondering like, what are we doing here? It's very jarring. I'm excited to watch You've Got Mail someday and see if there's improvement with time. I don't like You've Got Mail. Really? No, I don't. I think that But the you're only C-Post. Re- yes. Uh, but I think the only reason that You've Got Mail gets away with what it is is because it's Tom Hanks. Yeah. Where I think he is just a jerk for the entire movie. Yeah. And people forgive it because it's Tom Hanks. And I think if you cast any other actor in that role, you're like, wow, this guy is just a jerk for the entire movie. I mean, that's kind of how the musical version at least is written too. I think it's to a greater extent. Really? I think it's to a more personal extent because in She Loves Me, which is the musical that follows a similar plot, they're based on the same play, there is at least an immediate threat to the George character right. where he is worried about the implications of the female lead like possibly affecting his job yeah. and affecting his livelihood. That threat does not exist in You've Got Mail where actually it's the opposite. He is a jerk and he threatens her livelihood which makes his jerkiness all the worse. Ew, I don't like that. I'm not a fan of You've Got Mail but you should probably watch it someday. <laughs> probably. Anyway, so Christmas Eve we're in Baltimore. Bill Pullman and Meg Ryan are at dinner with Meg Ryan's family and they're engaged! Hooray! Hooray! And that's the romantic plot of the movie. Just the two of them loving life and getting married because Bill Pullman should have good things. Yeah, so he's just a nice guy who works really hard to get to know her family. Uh, They met because they both ordered the same sandwich except the bread was different. And it sounds gross. Yeah, it sounds like a really... It's just lettuce and tomato? Yeah, it sounds like literally just lettuce, tomato, and bread. But he gets her whole wheat, and she gets his white, and he's allergic to whole wheat bread, but not white bread, and I don't understand how that works at all. Doesn't matter. But they switch, and they fall in love. Yeah, so they track him down, and Meg Ryan talks about how this shows that, you know, a million little decisions lead to something. She pointedly rejects her mom's notion of fate. And I want to ask you, does this movie believe in fate? Who can tell? I don't know. I don't know either. Yes, I think it does. It definitely believes in the, like, magic of the first touch. Yes, it does. Which kind of ties into fate, because it's like, you're fated to be with this person. And there's an interesting thing where Annie, Meg Ryan, pointedly rejects it several times. Yeah. You get the sense that Sam doesn't not believe in fate, he just doesn't believe you don't get to, like, really 100% be in love with somebody more than once. Yeah. So his attitude is more like, no, like, you can have, like, awesome love like that, but he already did, and then she died. It's really weird how much he seems to believe that you can only find true love once. Yeah, it's a bummer. I think he's just like, he, he is really depressed. Yeah, but it's like, it seems to be a like, maybe it's just in the moment, but it almost seems like he has this life philosophy in general, which bums me out. Could be. We know Nora Ephron loves writing uh, men with pointed life philosophies like men and women can never be friends. True enough. So then Bill Pullman and Annie are driving to visit Bill Pullman's family in D.C. I believe they drive through Alabama on their way there because she stops in this diner where the two women working there have the most outrageous southern accent. Oh, my God. It's called the Capitol Diner. It's like this is D.C. in 1993. The Capitol on it. And it's like if you're going to do anything, at least do like a bad Maryland accent. Right. Something that people may have conceivably had. Because clearly this diner is in like... I mean, between Baltimore and Maryland, it must have been somewhere in Prince George's County or in the district, at least. Something like that. Yeah. I said between Baltimore and Maryland, and I meant Baltimore and D.C. Yeah. Just to clear that up. I understand. 
Okay. I don't need to call you out for your mispronunciation, your mismeaning. We all understood your intent. I just really um, enjoyed the word Cheerios and wanted to point that out. <laughs> um, so anyway, as Meg Ryan is driving there, she's listening to Wishes and Dreams this Christmas Eve, which sounds like this movie's version of Delilah. Oh, Delilah and Dr. Fraser Crane have a baby, and it's this radio DJ. Yeah, her name is Dr. Marsha Fieldstone. She goes by Dr. Marsha. Yeah, so she, like, takes calls and helps people with their problems, but also, I think, takes love song requests from coast to coast. It's Delilah. Yeah. How great is Delilah? (laughs) But Delilah doesn't, like, portray herself as a doctor who's offering sage love advice as well as mental health advice real mental health advice which is why i say dr fraser crane and delilah together yeah so she's listening and we hear jonah who's tom hanks's kid calling in and being like yo my christmas wish is for my dad to get a new wife and Dr. Marsh is like, what? Oh, wait. Speaking of Delilah, I tried to see if there's any official Delilah merch out there. And I'm I, sure there is. Because I would love to buy a t-shirt that says Delilah. But when you Google Delilah t-shirts, a lot of stuff are related to the song Hey There, Delilah, and oh, not the radio DJ. Did you not like go to her website? I didn't think of that because I always just go to Google. So I should check that out, too. I knew a priest when I was in grad school who was like a huge Delilah fan. And he was telling... He's like a pretty young priest. Yeah. He was talking about how... He, like, listened to it religiously, no pun intended. And he always called in. He was like, I'm desperate to get on Delilah, just, like, one time. And he got on, like, just after he got ordained. And so he calls in, and Delilah's like, how are you doing? And he's like, I'm so excited. I'm so full of love right now. Like, I just got ordained as a priest in the Catholic Church. And he was like, this was going to get me on the air. (laughs) And so he got on the air and talked to Delilah. And he's like, the greatest compliment I've ever been given is that Delilah threw to commercial and came back with me still talking to her. Ugh. What a treat. He played the recording for us one time. It was incredible. Because she clearly had, like, very little understanding of the life of a priest. She kept talking about, like, living on a mat. Like, she thought he was living in some kind of, like, oh, stone like a cell. cell. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, no, I, I live in a house with other dudes. <laughs> uh, Delilah. So anyway, so Jonah calls into Dr. Marsha. He's like, I want a wife for my dad. Because he's been sad since my mom died. And I think he'd be happier if he had a new wife. And so Dr. Marsha's like, yo, get your dad. Put him on the phone. Let's have him talk to this national audience. And so Jonah, he goes and he gets Tom Hanks. His name is Sam. And he's like, dad, someone's on the phone for you and i don't understand how but sam ends up actually opening up to dr Marsha. i would never do that yeah but he's just kind of like worn down by her insistence she's like you're on the radio and like your son's really worried about you like he's worried about your happiness and i think it would mean a lot to him i do not like dr Marsha. talk to me yeah no dr Marsha is manipulative <laughs> she sucks but so sam as you said does open up he talks about his wife she asked him what was your wife like and he goes on a really lovely talk about what he liked about her he talks about how he met her and like how great that was he says i knew it the very first time i touched her it was like coming home and annie's in the car and she's listening to those she's like this is so nice and when she stops at the capitol diner the two ladies there are like well i think he sounds like a lovely gentleman and so sam is this phenomenon then Oh, the driving scene. That reminds me. Um, This is where I had forgotten I'd seen When Harry Met Sally. And I was just like, I think the only movie I've seen with Meg Ryan in it is Anastasia. And then she started singing really poorly. And I was just like, nope, wait, when (laughs) Harry Met Sally. Also, that scene when he drove off before she left. That's when I thought he was going to die in a car accident. (laughs) I was convinced for so long Bill Pullman was going to die. No, Bill Pullman was was a terrible ending. Because he was just such a good guy. I figured the only way the movie would get rid of him is by death. 
There was a piece on One Perfect Shot earlier this year about the jilted fiancés of rom-coms. Yeah. And they talked about Bill Pullman in this movie as one of the examples. They're like, this dude did nothing wrong. Yeah. And um, Patrick Dempsey in Sweet Home Alabama was another one. Yeah. They do that a lot in movies, more than, like, I realize, where they just make the jilted lover, like, a normal... Human. If not better human. He's the only one who's not a crazy person. Yeah. But I guess then, in the end, it's better for them, because they can go out and find a non-crazy person to be with. I mean, that's David Hyde Pierce's line in this movie about how what we think of as fate is actually two neuroses realizing they're a match. Uh, what a great character. Also, did this come out before or after Frasier? Um, when did Frasier premiere? I don't know. I'm guessing it might be before because I think they watched this movie and just changed the name of the character and all of a sudden he was Niles Crane. Well, so this came out like three months Sorry, Frasier premiered like three months after this movie came out. Okay. So it was in the works. This would have shot in 92. Yeah. Okay. Because like the brother character played by David Hyde Pierce literally is Niles Crane. Oh, totally. You know, you get the vibe because it's a very like character very associated with the actor. So it shows up in even in things like Down With Love, but never as strongly as in this movie. Oh, no, not at all. Yeah. Um, But so that takes us then to point number two. Which I've labeled Sam Goes Viral. This interview on Dr. Marsha becomes huge. Like the next day, Annie is at work. Or probably not the next day because that'd be Christmas Day. But when we see Annie at work, she works for the Baltimore Sun. She's talking to her best work pal, Rosie O'Donnell, about this incredible... Well, Rosie's talking about how like, wow, this like Chicago radio station had this huge hit. Like the phone lines were locked up for an hour in Chicago after that. And Annie's like, oh, I listened to that. Like it was actually kind of awesome. Like hearing this dude just like be really sincere. And so they start looking into it from like a news perspective. But at the same time, we see Sam on the other end where, like, they're getting stacks and stacks and stacks of letters because the radio station had called his house and Jonah gave them the address so that the radio station could forward all this mail to them. Jonah Jonah's, needs some basic privacy lessons. And Jonah's like, yo, we could look through all these letters and pick out your new wife. And there's a lot of them. There's a lot of letters. There's at least 100 in that first delivery. Yeah. You know what I don't understand? Oh, I guess it was to get Victoria into the mix, which we'll talk about. But I was just like, what's with the difficult client plot line? Because it shows up once and basically never again. Shows up a couple of times. Yeah. That's just to be like, wow, he's like got some annoying people in his life, but he's got some friends too. Yeah. He's got Rob Reiner who can give him advice on how to start dating. Yeah. I noticed this is another movie where characters with normal jobs have inexplicably nice houses. You know, architect and journalist and somehow... She lives, like, on Baltimore Harbor. Yeah. And he has a house. I can't tell if his would be an expensive house. I'm not sure either. I don't think the neighborhood is super nice. It's a nice house. Yeah. But it's literally on the water in Seattle. Yeah, but, like, a crappy kind of on the water. But it seems kind of crappy on the water, so I'm unsure. But his house in Chicago, very nice. Maybe Maggie made a ton of money. You never know, actually. That's true. Yeah. So, in the midst of all this... We have all these letters coming. We see New Year's Eve where Annie and Bill Pullman decide, like, you know what? Let's uh, let's meet in New York City on Valentine's Day. We'll, uh, we'll just meet there and it'll be great. And on the other hand, we see Sam with Jonah. And, like, Jonah's fallen asleep. And Sam wakes him up. He's like, Happy New Year's. Like, go to bed now. And then Sam falls asleep on the couch and he dreams that Maggie is there. And he's, like, catching Maggie up on their lives. Yeah, it's very sweet. Yeah, it's nice. He's very, very affected by his wife's passing still. Yeah, we see Annie watching Bill Pullman snore in a scene that feels very unfair to Bill Pullman. Yeah, I mean, we know he has bad allergies. Just get him some breathe right strips. 
She accidentally um, punches him in the nose, too, which can't help. Right. Then she goes down to the kitchen and she's peeling an apple, which I've never really seen someone peel an apple just to eat the apple then. Yeah. I guess it's, it's cool, though. She peels it all in yeah, one thing. Which is important because they keep making these weird parallels that Maggie and Meg Ryan, whose name... Annie. Annie, are, like, the same. But I think it's supposed to be, like, oh, these traits that you love about your wife do exist in, in other, other people. people. Yeah. But it's just, like... Because one of the things he says about why he loves his wife is because she could peel an apple all in one strip. I was just like, well, Jonah's like, tell me stuff about mom. Yeah. And he's like, this is a cool thing she could do. Yeah. I also love that Jonah does fall asleep before New Year's Eve. It made me think of the fact that Netflix has a New Year's countdown so that you, if you want to like trick your kids and send them to bed early, you could play the New Year's countdown and be like, it's the new year. Go to bed. It's 8 p.m. Don't look at any clocks. Yeah. Uh, my grandma's retirement community does something similar where 10 o'clock is New Year's. That's great. Yeah. The other incredible thing that I noticed this night. Yeah. Did you notice the name of Jonah's teddy bear? Walter? It's Howard. Howard. Howard the that's, bear. That's right, because that's where I was going to... Um, That's where I thought you would bring in duck talk. Uh, I just did. Yeah. Great. All right, so now in the midst of this, Annie is... She tells Rosie O'Donnell, she's like, yo, I think I'm starting to like fall in love with somebody that I've never met. Like, what's the deal with this? And eventually she is like, oh yeah, I'm still uh, I'm still doing this uh, this story on the Dr. Marsha call. And so she hires a private investigator. Well, she like backstalks Sam using their computer system. Yeah, and in theory, this is because she's writing a piece about the sleepless in Seattle phenomenon. Right, this dude who talks about how he can't sleep and calls into Dr. Marsha. Right, Marsha gives all of the people these like... Disappointed in Denver. Yeah, so he's sleepless in Seattle. But she also thinks she's in love with him, which... Okay. Yeah. Sure. She's also engaged to Bill Pullman. Yeah. Uh, We should all be so lucky. Yes. Um, So she hired, she is like backstalking him using their news database. She eventually digs up Maggie's obituary. She's able to track down his name. She tracks down Jonah's name. She writes a letter. Yeah. And actually she does, she writes a letter, but she doesn't send it, but she does hire a private investigator to track him down in Seattle and specifically take a picture of him. Yeah. So she knows what he looks like. And in the midst of this, Sam decides that he should start dating again. Yes. And so he goes to his best friend, Rob Reiner, to get advice on how to date. Yeah. And if nothing else, what I want from this movie is a gif of Rob Reiner pulling up Tom Hanks' coat to check out whether his butt is cute or not. It's disappointing, and they don't mention that, but also the 90s giant pants are not flattering. Right. It's not a great shot of Tom Hanks' butt, but just like that, Rob Reiner, good friend, pulling up the coat and being like, oh, your butt's fine. Yeah. So he is starting to date. He dates this one woman named Victoria. Victoria, who is a perfectly nice woman, except her laugh is infuriating. Oh, it's so bad. It's atrocious. It's one of those things where it's like, wow, I feel like a bad person for not being able to get over this because I know that that would be a deal breaker for me. But it's just so awful. It's truly horrible. And so Sam goes on a date with her. Jonah is really mad because what Annie doesn't know is that her best friend, Rosie O'Donnell, took the letter that she had written to Sam and Rosie O'Donnell mailed it. This letter that it's like really effusive in how it talks about love and stuff like that. Rosie O'Donnell, who herself is very unhappy in relationships because she's dating men. Right. But also calls out Annie on the fact that all the stuff she's talking about is stuff from An Affair to Remember, her favorite movie. And Rosie O'Donnell calls her out. She says, you don't want to be in love. You want to be in love in a movie, which I think is a nice line. I really liked it too. I wrote it down. Yeah. But so Rosie O'Donnell sends the letter and Jonah's like, this is the one. This lady rules. She has your opinions on baseball. That seems seems to be the only thing. That's the one that we get told, but I'm sure there are others. 
years. Yeah. It's weird and unbelievable to me how obsessed he gets from this letter. I think what we're meant to take is that the other letters are real bad. And so when Jonah's like, this is our solution, he's like, this is the one. Yeah. So Jonah's really mad that Sam is going on a date with somebody else because he's like, you're supposed to be getting together with Victoria. And Sam is like, she lives in Baltimore. Deal breaker. Like, the evidence that it is not fate is that we live on opposite sides of the country. Fair. Yeah. And so Sam goes on the first date with Victoria. Jonah calls to be like, why are you not tracking down Annie? Why are you on this date? And what he says there is that his friend Jessica, her parents are travel agents who can hook him up with a flight to New York for Valentine's Day. Because in Annie's letter, she was like, let's meet at the Empire State Building on Valentine's Day. Which is the thing from An Affair to Remember. remember. So Sam is annoyed by this. He's like, leave me alone. And he continues to date Victoria. Victoria comes over and makes dinner at one point, And then Jonah gets sent out to bed. And Sam and Victoria are like making out outside by the water. Yeah. And Jonah comes down and he's pissed. And so he calls up Dr. Marshall again and is like giving play-by-play of Sam's date. He's like, he's kissing her like they're using tongue. What the heck? And he says, she's a hoe. My dad's been captured by a hoe. Yeah, it's pretty aggressive. He hates this woman so much without ever giving her a shot because he's so sold out of this random woman he doesn't know or know what she looks like who lives in Baltimore. Yeah, Jonah is committed. Jonah believes in fate, certainly. That's very apparent. Well, I think also Jessica definitely believes in fate. I hate Jessica. Jessica is Jonah's not-quite-girlfriend because he's, like, ten. He's eight. Jessica just, like, shows up. She's very into, like, astrology and stuff like that. And abbreviations. Yes. Ones that no one uses. She also, it's worth noting, she's played by Gabby Hoffman. Who's that? She was Allie on Transparent. Oh. She, like, runs the indie circuit these days. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I see it now. I saw her name in the credits, and I was like, I I kind of like her in this movie. I think she's appropriately weird. I think so, too. No, I don't hate the character. Like, I don't hate that the character exists. I just think she's a terrible little girl. Oh, yeah. She's a bad person. Yeah. Meanwhile, while Jonah's calling and doing the play-by-play, Sam gets mad. He's like, look, you're not always going to like everybody that I date. I'm not always going to immediately click perfectly with everyone you date. Like, that's being with people. It's adjusting. It's finding. It's trying things out. Yeah. And meanwhile, while that's going on, Annie is listening in the closet because Rosie O'Donnell called her and was like, he's on the phone again. You got to listen. And so that's when she like freaks out out of bed, slams Bill Pullman in the face, goes downstairs and is like listening in the closet, holding the phone so she can talk to Rosie O'Donnell while listening on the boombox that yeah. she's holding in her hands. And that's when she's like, I definitely got to do something about this. And so the next day she does this great sidle into Rosie O'Donnell's office where she's clearly trying to look casual, but failing miserably at it. And I was like, this is the Meg Ryan, the physical actor that I love. Yeah, that's very Meg Ryan. And she's like, I think I should do a story about these phone calls. And Rosie O'Donnell's like, hmm, you'd probably have to travel for that. And Annie's like, yeah, I guess so. And that takes us to point number three. Stalking in Seattle. So Annie goes to Seattle to find Sleepless in Seattle, a.k.a. Sam, a.k.a. Tom Hanks. Crucially, she tells Bill Pullman that she's going to Chicago to interview Dr. Marsha. Oh, right. She lies to him. And he's like, oh, but then we won't see each other again until we meet in New York. And she's like, that's great. Then we'll meet in New York. Yeah. Like, sure. (laughs) It's romantic. Exactly. So she goes, uh, Victoria is leaving Seattle for a trip. And so Tom Hanks and Jonah go to the airport. Are at the airport. Yeah. Or at the gate seeing her off. This is when Sam and Jonah have the conversation about like, you're not going to immediately like somebody. Yeah. You've got to get used to people. Try them out. Yeah, so Meg Ryan is in the airport at the same time. 
And Tom Hanks is talking about how, like, you've got to get used to somebody. you got to adjust to new people because nobody's. And right after he says that, before he can say the word perfect, Meg Ryan walks out into the terminal and he stops just staring at her. And I was like, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life. But somehow this movie is working on me. And I think it's because Meg Ryan is great. <laughs> yeah. And Tom Hanks is pretty great, too. Yeah. Tom Hanks, who's now just a man good at his job. Exactly. That's what he does. He yeah. plays characters who are good at their job. Yep. Now, because Victoria's out of town, Sam is just, like, hanging out with Jonah, but Annie is hardcore stalking him. She drives to his house because she has the address from the PI that she hired. It's so creepy. Then she realizes that he and Jonah have just left on a motorboat. So she gets back in her car and, like, tracks them because they're staying close to the shore. And so she tracks them in her car, and they eventually, like, pull up on a beach and are throwing a football around. And she's like, all right. She parks her car across the street. She's about to cross the street so that she can talk to him. And then she freezes, which is very stupid because she's in the middle of the road. She makes eye contact with Tom Hanks, and they're staring. And that car almost hits her. Crucially, a cab, like, in a fair unfair to remember. And the cab swerves, and Tom Hanks is like, what the heck are you doing? And he walks out, and he goes, hello. And she goes, hello. And then she leaves. Yeah. And you can tell he remembers her from the airport, I think. Yes. So, he recognizes her. Yeah. It's significant that they say hi to each other. So she gets back and she's like, this was stupid. I should never have done this. I'm with Bill Pullman. He's great. I should just be with Bill Pullman. That's the good thing. This is crazy. Yeah. And then Rosie O'Donnell is like, but look, you got another letter from there. And it's Jonah and Jessica have written a, another letter to Annie being like, hey, you're really great. I think you're cool. It's all like very simple sentences so clearly written by a child. Yes. And we should meet at the Empire State Building to see if we're MFEO. Meant for each other. Of course, you didn't need to explain it. It's a common abbreviation. <laughs> yes, what everyone uses all the time. That was definitely a Jessica move. <laughs> yeah, that's the kind of abbreviation I'm talking about that drives me insane. And Jonah is like insistent. You've got to go. You've got to meet her in New York. And Tom Hanks is like, no, this is a crazy situation. I'm not doing this. Yeah reasonably yes of course that takes us to point number four new york city so annie flies to new york she meets up with bill pullman and she's like we're gonna have a great life yes they register for fancy things for their wedding they are rich af if they're registering for tiffany's flatware correct they are like having a great time he gives her his mother's ring yeah he had it resized he says his mother had really fat fingers for some reason he felt the need to like shade his mom's fingers in this moment i thought it was funny (laughs) yeah it was very funny meanwhile at the same time Jonah flees with the help of Jessica. Jessica. They commit Sam was supposed to theft. go away for like a sexy weekend with Victoria. And then he immediately hears that like Jonah has disappeared. Yeah. So we see Jonah and Jessica breaking into her parents' travel agent system and buying Jonah a ticket as a 12-year-old who's flying unaccompanied. Yeah. They lied. They're like, oh, yeah, we'll make a note that you're short for a 12-year-old and you don't like it being mentioned. Yeah. It's just like, who's credit- man. whose credit card did they put that on? I assume they put it on, like, the business's whatever. I don't know. Yeah. So they stole money from Jessica's parents, essentially. Several hundred dollars. Yeah. And then Tom Hanks had to spend another several hundred dollars. I would be so pissed. Yeah, because Tom Hanks has to, like, rush to New York because he's like, my kid is going to be alone in New York. Jonah arrives in New York. Oh, before we move on, we have to point out the most important thing in that scene. Clarice the babysitter's outfit. Oh, my gosh. What was going on there? So she's wearing this jacket. It's like a multi- it's a Technicolor dream coat. There's like five different patterns happening. It's got fringe coming off the bottom of it. She's, She's wearing these flared pants. Flared pants, but they don't like flare around her shoes. They flare like slightly above her ankles. Yeah, so it's like her pants have little skirts at the bottom. It's wild. It's great outfit. Love it. Okay. Here for it. Everything about it. 
So Jonah gets to New York. He hops in a cab to go straight to the Empire State Building. And his plan is like, it's Valentine's Day. I'm going to hang out here all day and find Annie. And he just like walks around like tapping women being like, are you Annie? And they're all like, no. To which I say, lucky there wasn't another Annie there. And two, why did no one say, child, are you lost? Yeah, no one was like, oh, this child is wandering alone talking to strangers. Maybe I should do something about it? Yeah, so... We're lucky Jonah wasn't kidnapped. Tom Hanks is lucky that Jonah wasn't kidnapped. Meanwhile, at another skyscraper. Oh, at Rockefeller Center. Yeah, it must be like the Rainbow Room. Yeah, Annie and Bill Pullman are having dinner. And Bill Pullman's like, you've seemed really out of it for a while, but now it seems like you're back in the swing of things. I'm glad we're back in the swing of things. Because she has been distracted by being in love with someone she doesn't know. Yes. But since she like decided to give up on it after going to Seattle, she's like really with it. And like at Tiffany's when they're doing all the wedding stuff, she's like really been with it in a way that she hasn't been for a while. Yeah. And he's like, it's really nice that like you worked out. She chalks it, it up to pre-wedding jitters. Yeah. That's and she's making like, do her you... do this crazy thing. Yeah. And he's like, do you ever like, she asks, do you ever have doubts or something like that? And he's like, not really. Because he's great. Because he's Bill Pullman. He's great. And so they're sitting at dinner. And the Empire State Building, which they can see, lights up with a big heart because it's Valentine's Day. And Annie's like, oh, shoot. The Empire State Building on Valentine's Day. It's a sign. The thing I've been dreaming of, it's a sign. Annie, who doesn't believe in fate, is like, this is a sign. And so she confesses to Bill Pullman. She's like, I'm really sorry about this. And Bill Pullman takes this incredibly well. So weirdly well. I mean, his justification is, I don't want to be someone that's settled for. Right. And like, she's like, you go, Bill Pullman. Yeah, because she's like yeah, I had this idea in my head, but like, it's a crazy idea. And like, you're great. And I should just be with you. You're great. And he's like, I don't really want that. Like, I don't want you to, I don't want to be with someone who's like, man, I could have had this like awesome, crazy cross country relationship, but it was fine being with Bill Pullman. He's like, yeah, I don't want to be the person you're settling for. So he's Bill Pullman. Yeah. I'm going to marry Sandra Bullock on a train. Yeah. I'm going to be president. And so uh, she gives back the ring and she bounces and she goes to the Empire State Building. And that brings us to point number five. She likes, yes, this brings us to point number five, the Empire State Building. Sam arrives at the Empire State Building. He finds Jonah. He's like, Jonah, thank God you are not dead. What the heck? Yeah. He grabs Jonah. They're leaving. They are going down the elevator just as in another elevator shaft, Annie is going up. She had barely made it there. She actually made it there after it was closed, but managed to convince the guard to let her in. Yeah. So Jonah and Sam are going in because everyone has to go in. So they miss each other. Yes. And Annie's just like wandering around the top of the Empire State Building being like, well, sure did screw things up with Bill Pullman. Yeah. <laughs> and then she finds next to one of the uh, telescope thingies. Jonah's backpack. Jonah's backpack. And uh, she pulls out Howard. She pulls out Howard the dog. And Bear. Right at that moment, we see Jonah come running out for the backpack. And he says, oh, I think I left it by one of the telescope things. Yeah. And then Sam sees her. And they recognize each other. And he says, calling back to when they met in the middle of the road, you had me at hello. And she responds, my name is Jerry Maguire. Roll credits. Yep. That's not quite how it ends, but that's basically how it ends. Yeah. They're like, oh my gosh, they introduce each other. They decide to leave because they have to because it's closed. And they reach out to take you on another's hand. And we see this little like squeeze pulse. And you're like, ah, it's like coming home. Magic. And that's basically it. That's the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Roll credits. Yeah. Uh, Which, by the way, the credits are played over that stupid map of the US again. Yeah. It's so bad. Uh, So what did you think of the relationship in this movie? There isn't one. Correct. Which I kind of like. I kind of like it. But at the same time, it makes our whole questions at the end of this very difficult yeah but i think back to like we really praised set it up we were like it's more believable because it ends with them being asked out on their first date and we're like okay so we're not saying like everything's together forever but we're saying like there's a possibility here yeah i think again here it's like oh we've met now we still have the cross-country issue (laughs) correct they still live in baltimore and seattle but you know that's something Uh, where would you rate this on our 10 point scale 
Oh boy, I don't know. It is lower than while you were sleeping. It's like a one it's or a, a two. It's a one or a two. Yeah. I, I want to say two. But I think we're only saying two because Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan have been together in so many I movies. I think you're right. I think it's a one. Yeah, I think it's a one. Man, I do. Like, I have in my notes. Why am I beaming at this madness? Because this is just complete madness. Oh, it's bonkers. Yeah, it only works because of them. Yeah. Uh, do you think they're dateable? Um, I think so. Meg Ryan is alarming. They both have many very the, stable jobs. Many of the actions she takes are alarming, but like, if you ignore those, I'd say they're both very dateable. Definitely Sam is dateable. Well, I think Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan are dateable. I think Sam is dateable. And I think Sam is dateable. Annie, I'm a little less sold on yeah. based on her treatment of Bill Pullman. Yeah, what the heck? I would date Bill Pullman. I'd yeah. Date the heck out of Bill Pullman. Well, if you had to pick one person in this movie to date, who would it be? Probably Bill Pullman. Yeah. Or maybe Rob Reiner. Maybe. I like Rob Reiner in this movie a lot. I kind of like um, Rosie O'Donnell. She's great, too. I was thinking of her. Hard with a heart of gold. Yeah, she's just a good friend. Yeah. Good Pushes boss. Her friend out on a limb. Yeah, good boss. She's an editor at the Baltimore Sun. Yeah. Good Marylander. Um, do you think they'll stay together? Uh, I have no idea. It's impossible to say. Yeah. Do you think Jonah and Jessica would stay together? No. They're eight. <laughs> and he's about to move to Baltimore. But what about in, uh, in Sweet Home Alabama? They, uh, Josh, Lucas, and, uh, Reese Witherspoon kiss on the beach when they're little kids and they get struck by lightning. And then when they're adults, they get married. Yeah, but Jessica and Jonah weren't struck by lightning, so. That's true. You gotta get struck by lightning. You've gotta get kidnapped by the soul train. <laughs> Okay, that does it for this movie. <laughs> okay, that means it's time for another hashtag PD summary. Brought to us by listener Rachel R. As a reminder, in last week's installment, Princess in Pink, Grandmare's toy poodle, got a busboy fired. So Lily started a protest in honor of the busboys. Meanwhile, Michael told Mia that he wasn't going to invite her to prom because he'd rather go bowling. And Mia was like, forget that, we're going to prom. Meanwhile, Lily started making out with the busboy that Grandmare got fired which meant she broke up with Boris. Boris dropped a globe on his head to show Lily how much he loved her. So then they broke up. Lily dated the busboy, and Boris started dating Tina, the daughter of the oil sheik. Meanwhile, Grandmare arranged for the prom to be held at the Empire State Building because the busboy strike meant that it couldn't be held anywhere else. And also, Mia's new half-brother, Rocky Gianni, was born in the greatest name to be visited upon this series, including Boris the Globe Dropper. So that, of course, leads us to our next installment in the series, the sixth book, Princess in Training. Again, this uh, summary brought to us by Rachel R. Book six, and sophomore year begins. And Michael is off to school at Columbia. Mia and Lily arrive on the first day of school and discover that Boris got super hot over the summer. Good for Boris. He and Tina, the daughter of the oil sheik, are still madly in love and Lily is still kind of bitter. There's a new English teacher which Mia is very excited about because she's decided that she's going to be a fancy writer. But gasp! The teacher grades Mia harshly because Mia isn't working up to her full potential. The assignment was to write about what you see out your bedroom window and Mia wrote about like being a slave trapped in an intergalactic prison or something like that. So now Mia feels betrayed and hates the new teacher. More upsetting, Lana taunts Mia now that Michael in college, he's going to expect her to do it, in all caps, because college boys expect their girlfriends to do it. Mia always refers to sex as doing it, capital G, capital I. Tina refers to it as like giving up your flower or giving up your special gift or something hokey like that. And then Lily nominates Mia to run against Lana for student council president. Why are both potential presidents sophomores? Unclear. Without consulting Mia first. 
Also, Grandmare goes on some trip and makes Mia house-sit her room at the plaza, so Mia invites all her friends over for a slumber party, and they stay up super late, so she's annoyed when Lily wakes her up very early to go campaign for student council on a Saturday. Later that Saturday, Mia visits Michael at his dorm and finds a pack of condoms and flips out at him because she's not ready to do it. He says, I got those in orientation. Also, I know you're not ready. You had a hotel room to yourself invited your friends over instead of me. That's fine, but I'm also not going to wait forever. So Mia gets convinced that Michael is going to break up with her, but then he doesn't. Lana and Mia have a debate for student council president, which is televised? And Mia makes the classic I'll stand up for the not popular kids argument and ultimately wins the election. Lily tells her that Lily's master plan all along has been for Mia to win and then immediately resign and make Lily the president. But Mia decides that she does actually want to be president. Okay, theme of this series, Lily is a terrible friend. They're both really bad friends to each other. Especially Lily. But especially Lily. Who, remember, manipulated her best friend and her brother for months. Yep, she's awful. She's a really bad friend. Also, why is the queen just living in America? It's so... I don't know. Shouldn't she be going back? Doesn't she have a government to run? Yeah. Well, probably not. I don't know. Mio went there for Christmas and was able to pass a new parking meter policy. I guess. Is this still an absolute monarchy? Uh, In the movies, it's a parliamentary monarchy, but, like, the monarch has actual power. Okay. I'm trying to think of, like, an equivalent... I don't know that there is one today. Yeah. I'm thinking like Monaco. Britain, I'm thinking Britain in like the 1700s. Okay. I think it sound, I think Monaco still has something like that. I don't know. Who knows anything about Monaco? It's a country that is essentially a casino. Yeah. Um, well, uh, Grandmare, everyone go these, back to Genovia. <laughs> run your country. Everyone in this series continues to be terrible. They're um, all awful. Except for Boris, who is now hot. Yep. Good Sounds for Boris. great. Good for him. Who would you date? Boris. Uh, Next week, we're following up Howard the Duck and Iron Man with our third movie based on a comic book series, 2010's Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, which you can actually watch on Netflix right now. Until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Heart of Podness, and you can email us questions or movie suggestions at heartofpodness at gmail.com. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps other people to discover the show. Okay, last question. What's the best piece of dating advice you got from this movie? I want to say have a child give out your address over the telephone. I'm going to say, call Delilah. You'll Can't find go wrong love. There. Yep. All right. There you go. Until next time, I'm a ginger. And I'm gay. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye. Bye. Your whole family loves has only one gram of sugar. One and only